Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Classroom 33 podcast. Pastor Dustin is here with Steve Prudian, and uh, today we are finally, after a long break, we are back in the book of Job. And so before we dig into it, Steve, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay today, but this is a hard lesson that we're going to be doing. And when you have a hard lesson, it's hard to, how can I say, get really enthusiastic on things that have a tendency to stick you Mm -hmm. because it's more true about life than we would like to admit. Isn't it, though? And this is one of those chapters that uh, has a whole bunch of questions. Job's pouring his heart out. He's giving all of his complaints. And there's a lot of questions in here that we have all asked. So, you know, we've kind of gotten into the custom here of reading some of it. Should we read some of it and then dig into it? You could read the beginning of it. Otherwise, if we read it, we're going to be reading for a while. Yeah, it's not the longest chapter, but you're right. I probably don't want to read all of it. You can start the beginning so you know basically the framework of what we're going to talk about. All right. So here we go, starting in verse 1, and I'll just feel out the Spirit and end it when that seems right. I am disgusted with my life. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. I will say to God, don't simply condemn me. Tell me the charge you're bringing against me. What do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me? the work of your own hands, while smiling on the schemes of the wicked. I'm going to read that again. Why do you, what do you gain by oppressing me? Why do you reject me, the work of your own hands, while smiling on the schemes of the wicked? Are your eyes like those of a human? Do you see things only as people see them? And that's through chapter four, and I am going to jump then, I'm going to skip a little bit. To verse 8 here. You formed me with your hands, you made me, yet now you completely destroy me. Remember that you made me from the dust, will you turn me back to dust so soon? That's 8 and 9. Job's kind of unhappy. And he is really complaining to God, what was your purpose in creating me? Did you make me to make me miserable? So that's our question today. Why am I alive? Why am I alive? Do most of us even ask that question? I think everybody asks that question. At some point in time, you'll ask that question. When do you ask the question, usually? Do you ask it as a child? Sometimes. Okay. Some children do. Most children are busy playing. Yep. Well, children that have experienced trauma. They'll ask that question. They'll ask that question. It comes up, I would say, more frequently during adolescence and young adulthood. 
Why? It gets asked a lot. Why? It's the it's the transition. To what? Well, it's the transition from being a child into being an adult, from being kind of escorted through life. You know, as kids were told where to go and when to be there and what to eat and how much to eat and were sent to school and do your homework and there's always somebody there telling you what to do. And we get to that point where now all of a sudden there's a choice. And with the question, really the first question of what am I going to do next, comes the question of why. That's what I think. You want to know something? What's that? I don't care how old you get. You always have some insecurities. Oh, absolutely. Old people, I'm speaking for myself. Okay. Okay. Old people, they sometimes worry about will they have enough income when they stop working to still survive. I've heard that. A lot of people know that they don't. Yes. And that scares them. It is. Because it's terrifying. Thing, because things change when you can't afford the things that you used to. Right. The greatest thing, the greatest fear that people as they get older have is my health isn't what it used to be. Yes. I can't do a lot of the things that I would like to do. I'm afraid of what the future holds based upon what I've experienced to this point. Not why am I alive? But how shall I live? Right. Yeah, that's a really good question. How should we live? The third thing, which is greater than financial resources. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's greater than having your health, but I think it could be. Is when you're the last man standing. When you're left alone. Yep. And there is no one there to help you. There's no one who cares. At that point in time in your life, what do you think your thoughts are? I don't know that I could say specifically, but I can tell you I know that my thoughts could turn very, very dark in a time such as that. It's like this. What is there left to live for? What is there left to live for? But at any point in time in our lives, based upon what circumstances we're under, we may ask the same question that Job asked. At least one thing we can see about Job is that he's honest, but he's also fatigued. Right. And fatigue, and fatigue will reveal the truth. Yep. Yeah, when we are tired and hungry and broken, all of the, all of the things and the systems that we set up to keep ourselves in check, all, they all break down. And our true self is revealed. And that's where Job's at. You know, when we first started out with the book of Job, 
God had good things to say about Job. Yes, he did. And Job had good things to say about God. Mm-hmm. But a few days have passed, or maybe even a few months have passed, and Job has gotten weak, he's gotten tired, he's gotten sick, he's lost his family, he's lost his position, he's treated worse than a city dog. Right. Because now he's been thrown out of town with on the ash heap. And there's really nothing left for Job to live for. Right. What happened? What happened? What happened? Everything that he had, all of the value, which in turn was all of his hope, stripped away. Completely and totally. I don't think Job would ever say the devil made me do it. No, probably not. But I've, I've often wondered why, why Job did not say the devil is doing this to me. He didn't say that. No, he didn't He's say that. He's asked God why God is doing this to him. Well... That's a very interesting question. In the first place, my brain goes to, because that's something I have not looked into, um, my, my initial kind of knee-jerk reaction hypothesis would be he lives in a culture that worships numerous gods, all these different gods. And in these cultures, there isn't, really an opposer. There isn't a Satan when there's all the different gods. There's just all these different gods. There's a god of the underworld. He's not necessarily a bad guy, that's just his domain. So I guess that would be my initial hypothesis, is, you know, this is during the time of Abraham, the amount of revelation of God, and the spiritual world is very limited, and they might not even be aware that Lucifer, the fallen angel, is even a thing. But that's just me spitballing. That's, it's, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, the Job that we first saw in the first part of Job is a Job who defends God. Yes. It's a, go Job, it's a God that that Job prays to God. Yep. And he has praises about God. Yep. And we do not find him making fault of God like his wife made fault of God, okay, when the first part of these calamities were coming before him. Right. But those were only material things. His, I wouldn't say losing his children was material, but it was material things. We see that Job is really complaining as his health is deteriorating, while he's being afflicted with pain and with sores yep. and with lack of sleep and with lack of nutrition and lack of shelter. So... What's happened is, is we find Job here in chapter 10 
as a person who is totally worn out. Yes, he is. And that's part of his cry out to God, right at the end, um, not quite the exact end, but verse 20. I have only a few days left, so leave me alone that I may have a moment of comfort. He is, he's looking at God like a lot of people look at God. He's a bully with a magnifying glass. And Job is just the ant that's being burned right now. And that's a hard place to be. That is a really, really hard place to be. I would call that exasperation. Right. Because of this. If I expected God to treat me cruelly, I wouldn't be as exasperated as Job was because he knew the God who had blessed him. Right. And unfortunately, we today who are Christians, we have good days and bad days. When you have too many bad days or you have too many adverse circumstances within the world of your family. What kind of mental condition do you go into? Now you go, typically there's high anxiety, high depression. Those are the kinds of things that we see when, when there's a lot of bad happening, when it seems like it's trial after trial after trial. It's amazing how a person responds when they're on a, under a lot of duress. Yes. Under a lot of stress. It's interesting that in some circles, how to get a person to confess to something or to reveal information is you have to inflict pain upon him. You have to torture him. And ultimately, mm -hmm. under that kind of conditioning, some people will break. Yes, they Mo will. Most people will break. Most will. Do we have the right looking from where we sit today looking back at Job? Do we have the right to point a finger and condemn? Absolutely not. Why not? Well, first of all, we've been given grace, so we have to have grace with other people. That's kind of a conditional thing. Um, Job didn't have Jesus. He didn't have the gospel in front of him. He knew who God was, or at least who he understood God to be. And before this, he sees God as very benevolent. And this has just completely shaken his view, because like you said, he expected a benevolent God to act benevolently. He didn't expect hardship to be delivered to him. A righteous man, a legitimately righteous man, should expect good things to happen. But God is proving here that that's not always the case. So, and 
just looking at the topic, why am I here? He's in the middle of an existential crisis. A lot of us have been there. And I think just as a fellow human being, we need to have a little bit of, a little bit extra patience, a little bit extra grace for that. How about the expression? I've looked at Job, and he is me. Well, <laughs> there's, there's truth to that, and there's legitimacy in that as well. You know, we all have seasons in life or days in life that we could call them the day of Job. Right. Okay? They're not going the way we want them to go. And oftentimes we cry out through our pain. And what is our cry? Why, God, why? I like Peter's cry. Save me. Save me. Save me. Yep. I like Peter's cry. You know what? Ultimately, we'll never sometimes know the why. No, we won't. However, if Jesus, not if Jesus, Jesus will, if you cry out to him, pick you up and pull you back up. He will restore you. Not going to say that that's going to be easy because it isn't necessarily a magic trick. He gets you started and then you have to be obedient to what he requests for the next step and the next step and the next step. But you know what? He's patient enough to be able to tell us and show us the next step. Yep. Yep. Do you and, think Job uh, lost his faith? Do you think Job lost his faith? No, I think his faith was just confused. You think he questioned his faith? I think he questioned the God that he had put his faith in. Do we see do we see God reacting to what Job is saying to him? Do we see God reacting to what Job is saying to him or about him? Not until the end of the book. Not until the end of the book. But in the end of the book, what is the defense that God gives as an answer to Job? Well, to paraphrase it, he basically tells Job kind of what he tells Moses. I am that I am. You know, he explains to he explains to Job that you just don't understand what's going on and you won't ever understand it and you can't ever understand it. You have to trust me. What's the resolve? Job trusts God and is then blessed again. In, ab above and beyond what he had been blessed with before. What's funny, which we don't like as human beings, it's easier to stay in affliction yes. than sometimes do what God asks you to do. Mm -hmm. 
Job asked God again. What do I got to do to get out of this mess? And God told Job at the end of the book, mm -hmm. well, that's been in your own hand right along. The yep. solution is within your own hand right along. And what was that solution? That solution was to forgive those people who don't understand you, mm -hmm. who accuse you, who make fun of you, who think less of you than what the truth is. But more important than that, not only forgive them, but also make a sacrifice for them. Pray for them. Pray for their welfare, for their benefit. Right. And the answer is, is when you do those things, he says, your delivery will come. All of these things that mm -hmm. have beset you will fall away. Because now, whom do you serve? Well, if you're doing that, and you're doing it right, then you are a servant of God. Then you're serving God. Was, was it ever God's intention to destroy Job? No. How do we know that? Uh, because at the very beginning, he tells the devil that he won't. Exactly. He won't be able to. You won't be able to destroy him. You, you are not going to get out of this what you think you're going to get out of this. Mm -hmm. And you just watch and see. Okay. Today, who do we pray to? We pray to God. We pray to Jesus. And we pray to Jesus. Yep. And another name for Jesus is what? Another description of Jesus is what? Besides Savior. Everybody knows he's, he's the Savior. Give me another word that will help us live through our lives. Descriptive word for Jesus that helps us live through our lives. A descriptive word? Yes. Well, the Hebrew word is Messiah. I don't know if that's what you're getting at. I think Prince of Peace. That's a condition. Yep. I like to think of my Jesus just like that people who have these pictures on the wall of footprints in the sand. Yep. Okay. But Jesus, okay, he becomes our burden bearer. Hmm. We have a burden. Yep. But he decides to carry that burden for us because he knows that we're too weak to carry it for ourselves. But yet it's a true, bur true burden. It's interesting that Jesus said, he said that... Um, that um, in this world, okay? In this world. In this world, he says, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have anxiety. Mm -hmm. You're going to be perplexed. But he didn't say that you can overcome that. He didn't say you can overcome that. He says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, which means I have overcome the reason for all of the stress that you're having. Now, the question is, when do we, re when do, do we receive, okay, the deliverance, the promise of his becoming, of him being the overcomer? When does that happen? I think it happens... I think it happens with salvation and justification. I think it happens when we trust. Because 
we do receive the benefit in a very real way, even though there's still persecution in this world, we do receive the benefit of the sacrifice of Christ in this life, especially in that we have hope. We know what the future holds. But then at the end of days, when the sheep are separated from the goats, and there are those that hear Jesus say directly to them, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. And you get ushered into the Father's house for eternity. That is the ultimate attaining of the benefit of Jesus' sacrifice. That's true. Did you ever wonder how a horseshoe feels while it's being made? No, I can honestly say I have not. Do you know how a horseshoe starts out? It starts out as just a chunk of metal. Just a chunk of metal. And being a chunk of metal, does that hurt? No. No. But this chunk of metal has a purpose that this chunk of metal has no idea what its purpose is. Right. So first of all, it's taken from its comfortable bed of earth. Yep. And then all the dirt is cleaned off of it. Yep. And then there's still some dirt in there because the metal has impurities. And the impurities have to come out. They do. In order for the metal to become strong. Yep. So this piece of metal is subject to a very hot fire. Nobody likes hot fires other than to just be warmed by them. Right. But nobody wants to be burnt by them. No, they certainly don't. But this horseshoe is burnt to the point that is molten. It's glowing hot. Mm -hmm. But it can't be a horseshoe until it gets to the point of being softened, of getting to the point where it will yield, okay, to the, um, the blacksmith or the iron worker's hand to be shaped for the purpose it was intended. Mm-hmm. And once it goes through that, okay, and it is cooled down, now it is fit for the purpose of its maker. Yep. Okay? To help another creation find its way. And the reality is, is, is that we are just like that piece of metal. Yes, we are. And we don't like the process. Job talks about that process in this chapter. He does. He does. And you know what? Hopefully that if we allow ourselves and we don't unplug and we allow the process that we perceive as irritable to happen— in the end, we may become out, we may come out, we should come out different. We should come out more valuable. We should. And in this particular case, what does Job say that he feels like he is? What does Job feel, say he feels like is happening to him? 
Oh, he is being. I read that right at the beginning. He, it's, it's he's, really, he's, it's, he's really condemned. Ch- he's condemned. He's being really oppressed. Che- it's a really cheesy subject. Okay, you want to read about that? It's a really cheesy subject. So he's being fermented. Well, it says here, let me take a look at this. It says here, um, this is the point where he talks about the fact that he feels like he's like he's milk being poured out, okay? But he's being churned into mm-hmm. cheese as he's being poured out. Do you know what that process is? To have milk churn to cheese? Curdling. And do you know what is utilized for curdling the milk? I do. What? An acid. What kinds of acid? You have choices. I do have choices. Vinegar, wine, some sort of citrus juice. And the more acid you put into the milk, what happens? The more cheese you get. The more cheese you get. Mm -hmm. In chemistry... What would the acid be called? A catalyst. A catalyst. And in our lives, okay, what is the acid of our life called? Trial. Trials. Okay. Suffering. Yep. That is the acid of our lives, okay? Mm-hmm. Who's doing the pouring? Who's doing the pouring? God's doing the pouring. Right. In our case, the Holy Spirit is actually pouring. But the pouring goes both ways. As he pours us out as milk, he's also pouring in the qualities that will make us into cheese, that will make us more valuable and more useful and also longer lasting. How long can milk last for? couple weeks short period of time yep how long can some cheeses last for years 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 there's some there's some cheeses that are aged for over a century before they're even edible so therefore do you trust the cheesemaker do you trust our god for what he is making you to be maybe a century from now Maybe a century from now. I hope not a century from now. It's very unlikely that I will have feet on the earth a century from now. I'm going to plug in a couple more scriptures here. Go ahead. I was hoping you would. Because we've been talking about a couple of things. Okay. And the first one I'm going to, I'm going to point out is one that I love. And that's James chapter 1 starting in verse 2 through verse 4. And a lot of people don't like this. But I love it. There must be a reason. there, There is a reason, and that's a podcast for a different day, I think. But, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. 
And in my mind, this verse has, or this passage, if you pair it with Romans 8.28, and Romans 8.28, and I'll paraphrase because I don't have it open, God works all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Whose purpose? His purpose. The capital H, his purpose. God's purpose, not my purpose. So, I'm, I'm called according to God's purpose. Is that up for discussion? No. <laughs> <laughs> but if I trust that God is calling me according to his great, wonderful will, then I can also trust that trials are there to build my faith, to make me stronger, to make me better and more Christ-like. He's putting me in that furnace, and he's cooking off the bad stuff. And there's a, and there's a promise that kind of goes along with the stuff that we've been talking about in Job, and I think it's extremely relevant, especially considering it is in an Old Testament context. But being in an Old Testament context, written by somebody who knows God a lot better than Job does, and that would be David. And this is Psalm 40 in the first two verses. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Bad stuff's going to happen. Sounds like he's having a bad day. He's having a really bad day in this particular psalm, but yes. So what should we learn about bad days? We should learn about bad days, and gosh, this is a theme that has been in my life. I've seen it in... Kingdom Kids on Sunday morning, I'm seeing it in youth group, I'm seeing it in my elementary program, and it's, we've been talking a lot about storms. There's lots of storms in the Bible, and they all have one thing in common. They all end. Every storm that we go through in life, every bad day, every bad time, ends. And God will pull us out of it. And he stands there with you, holding you up and helping you to go down the path that he wants you to go down. He walks the next couple of steps with you. And then he backs off a little bit and lets us go. And sometimes we're going to step wrong. And sometimes there's just a pitfall or a trap but he picks us back up again. So that's, I'm seeing it all over the place. The storm will pass. Did you know that God is building into each one of his children the future? And their future is, is he's building us up to be the children that he always wanted and the children that he always wanted were those that no matter what the difficulty, they would still come 
and they would praise him. Right. And they would do that always remembering in thanksgiving that their very life now and forever is dependent upon who he is and not who we are. I've been with people who were millionaires mm-hmm. when they died. And none of them that I know talked about what's going to happen to my money or what's going to happen to my stuff. All they could do is you saw the terror, the fear in their eyes. Because even in death, for some reason, they could not humble themselves. So therefore, when it talks about what is it, what good is it for a rich man to gain the whole world? If he loses his life. Because at that moment, the rich people realize all that they've gained is nothing. And the one thing that they should have gained, they've lost. Yep. That's so true. There's actually a book in the Bible that goes through all of that. But again, I think that's an episode for another time. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's look at one more of these questions. Because I like number eight, or observations. God is picking on me. You should read the verse. 13 and 14. 13 and 14. All right. 13 and 14. God is picking on me. Yet your real motive, your true intent was to watch me. And if I sinned, you would not forgive my guilt. That doesn't sound quite like the God I know. No. I told you this chapter is not a good theological lesson if, in fact, we're trying to powder puff our faith on people and saying, you know, come on over, the water's fine. Yeah. The water's no. not always fine. No, <laughs> it's not. Sometimes it's really hot. Sometimes it's really cold. Funny thing is, is that the Bible tells us to work out our faith with what? We talked about it last week. Fear and trembling. Okay. Well... We talked about fear and troubling in relationship to God. Yes. Okay? However, the fact is is, is, is that the struggles of our life mm-hmm. can make us fearful. Yes, they can. Because we're not, we're not in charge. We have no control. I know. Okay? When things are out of hand and there is no remedy, what do we do? A lot of the time we fight for a control that... We didn't have to begin with. Well, in that case, then we do have a different type of trembling. Yep. We have a type of kind of type of trembling is when you basically have blown a piston in your engine. Okay. Uh, Right. You get a lot of vibration. Things aren't running right, and it's only it's imminent. Right. Okay. That you're not going to go much further down the road in that condition. You're true. You're right. You're right. But what does Jesus do? What does Jesus do in spite of ourselves? In spite of ourselves? Yes. He helps us through it. When I am weak. He is strong. He is strong. 
And do we have any other friend like? Like the Spirit? Like Jesus. Oh, okay. Yeah. There is there, no, no other there's friend nobody like Jesus. Like Jesus. Nope. Even a brother cannot be like Jesus. Right. And so the fact is, is, is that what was number eight we were talking about? Number eight is God is God's picking, picking on, me. on me. That is subjective to the person who is being, who is suffering. Right. And uh, one of the things I love about this question, and maybe I shouldn't, but I do anyways, is it reminds me of a Simpsons episode from way, way back when I was a younger man and uh, loved The Simpsons. There's an episode where things are going wrong for Homer. And if you don't know the show, it's a cartoon, and a lot of what they do in the cartoon is satire, and it's intended to be humorous. But Homer, the dad in the in the cartoon, is uh, going through some hard times, and things are just not going right. And he makes a comment to his wife, and he says, God's teasing me like he teased Moses in the desert. And his wife corrects him. And she says, God didn't tease Moses. God tested him. And that just, when I see this question, when I hear people say, God's picking on me, that always comes to mind. Moses knew he was being tested. Job thinks he's being teased. Jesus was tested. Yes, he was. Was God picking on Jesus? No. So what was, why was Jesus being tested? Well, Jesus was being tested for a very different reason, I think, than Job. And... Job was being tested because of his righteousness. Satan didn't like that. Jesus was being tested. I think one of the big reasons Jesus was tested was to prove his humanity and his fallibility. Not that he was righteous. The devil already knew that. He couldn't question that. The devil was fully aware of who Jesus was and what that represented for him. But if Jesus isn't able to sin, if he's not capable of sin, then the testing means nothing. So the testing, to me, in that scenario, proves that he is capable of committing the sin that the devil's putting in front of him. It's interesting to note that Satan worked his hardest at Jesus when Jesus was at his weakest point yep. of a human's life. He hadn't eaten, and he hadn't had water, and he didn't have anyone to help him. Right. Okay. And the fact was this is that the devil never left Jesus alone. He constantly badgered him. 
mm-hmm. constantly basically browbeated him. Satan wanted Jesus to doubt who he was, yep. what his mission was. Mm-hmm. And Satan, just like what Adam and Eve, offered Jesus an alternative. An easy way out. At we, Jesus' weakest time. Yep. But the question is, would he be the Jesus we worship today if, in fact, he bought the devil's lie? No. No. He'd be just like the rest of us. He wouldn't. But what would that make Satan if Jesus did buy the devil's lie? That would make him much more powerful than he is. That would ensure that he is truly the God of this world. Yep. But Jesus didn't. Even in weakness, okay, he maintained his integrity of faith. So... Next time we suffer, we should remember that I think that Jesus suffered in ways that will never, ever suffer. Right. And yet he chose as a human being to prevail. Do you think volunteering for crucifixion is an easy decision? Uh, It's apparent that it's not an easy decision because even knowing that that was his purpose— even being fully invested into the will of God, he still had such pain and such anxiety over it that during his prayer in the garden the night he was arrested, he was in such agony that his blood was droplets of sweat, or his sweat was droplets of blood. Do you know that Jesus lived in a Roman world? Yes. Living in a Roman world, he was full aware of what the act of crucifixion meant. And he knew that he would not be spared any of the effect of crucifixion on his body. And never mind the flogging that he received that same morning and it's before having to carry his own cross. And it's interesting, in the desert he was brought to his weakest point. Yep. At his trial, he was brought to his weakest point. And we saw Jesus show his weakness because he could no longer carry his cross. Yep. But still, even to the very last, to the very last temptation, he still gave his life and took the pain for us. Upon the cross. And he could have come off. Could have. He could have. But he chose to do the hard thing, which became the better thing. So when we suffer, oftentimes we have to do the hard thing so we can go on to the better thing. Let me ask you a question, Dustin. Yes, Steve. Which came first, God or Dustin? God came first. Why would I even ask that question? Well, sometimes we forget that because sometimes we don't recognize God until later in life. And we get that, we get that order messed up. God comes first. 
chronologically, ontologically, eternally, in areas of importance, and in any way it matters, God comes first. I think that sometimes out of our selfishness, out of our greed, out of our humanity, we think that we come first and God is meant to serve us mm-hmm. instead of us being made by God to serve him. And you would say that is twisting the truth. It is a horrible twisting of the truth. And people who do not know the truth, what are they? They're lost. They're deceived. Yep. But if you know the truth, what does the truth do? It sets you free. It sets you free. Aren't you glad you know the truth? I am so glad I know the truth. And even though you may have bad days and you pray to Jesus about the difficulties of your bad days, do you feel like that there's a purpose for that? I do. You know, somebody said that if we didn't have a problem, we'd never pray. That's very fair. And if we were given everything we ever wanted, what would that make us? Spoiled. Spoiled. Entitled. Entitled. And what does a spoiled person lack? A lot of things. Gratitude. Yes. He has no gratitude. He can't appreciate the effort of what's been given him. And oftentimes in our faith, we don't express our gratitude, our thankfulness. No, we don't. For what Jesus Christ has given us. And you know what? It's only because of the fact that we choose to remain ignorant. We choose to not learn. We choose to not listen. And we choose to not obey. Mm -hmm. That we remain in that state. And that state is a state of why me, oh God? Why me? Why me? Why me? Thank God we don't have to go through that in, in this time of grace. Because we do, we live in an era that is dominated by God's grace through the sacrifice of Jesus. And even though we're going to go through trials, and even though now we are the righteous ones, that God is saying, go ahead. Go ahead, attack him. Go ahead, take everything he's got. We know and we have that hope in Christ, knowing what the end is. My grandmother said, since you're alive, you might as well know what you're in for. She says, life is a war. And she says, and it goes on every day. Mm-hmm. And only the determined, only the strong will survive. Partially true. There's a spiritual war going on every day. Yes, there is. Okay. But in ourselves, we can't survive. We can't. There's only... There's only one way to survive. Now, one way to survive is the fact that we have a Savior. Correct. And that's Jesus Christ. 
Correct. And Jesus Christ already took the bullet for us. That's meant for us. And I have a thought, just to put it out there to kind of close our conversation. If God is for me, who can be against me? No one. Just don't go missing in action. Right. Absolutely. All right, Steve. Uh, Next week is Job 11. What do we got coming up next week? Well, we have a rebuttal to everything that Job just said in 10 by one of his friends. Okay. When you read it, you may think that his friend is totally off base. But the reality is, is, is that his friend has a lot of theological truth, even though the tone of his talk to Job or his chastising Job for what he just said about God, you may not like. But if you look beyond the attitude and -hmm. you look at the real statements of truth, you will find that sometimes truth that is told seriously, truth that is told with impact that sounds like it hurts, may actually have more purpose than somebody who tries to smooth things over and makes you try to feel good or tries to accommodate how you feel in your emotions and in your statements. But the reality is, is you need the truth. We all need the truth. God Mm -hmm. doesn't let us get away without correcting us himself. And he chastises us. And one of the things he chastises with is he'll chastise us with the truth. Are you man enough to take it? That is going to be, I think that'll be a great conversation. Well, Steve, thank you very much for coming in. You have a great week. Thank you. Same to you, Dustin. Mm -hmm.